0: are new faith talk 570 WTBN pinellas park and 910 wtwd plant city it's time for verse by verse sponsored by verse by verse ministries
1: so usefulness you know if you think well how come the lord hasn't used me maybe you're not obedient on a daily basis like you need to be why should God give you greater opportunities if you're not going to be faithful in the little opportunities? Welcome again to Verse by Verse, a daily Bible
2: study with Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Today, Pastor Steve will conclude his study of the Church at Philadelphia from Revelation chapter 3. Open your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 26 as Steve begins our class in a moment. At the end of our class, I will tell you how you can get a CD of this entire study. Now, here is Pastor Steve.
1: In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, we're given insight. Let's turn there as to what he's talking about here. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. The Corinthians were told by the Apostle Paul, starting in verse 26, For consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble... But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. And the base things of the world and the despised, God has chosen the things that are not so that he might nullify the things that are. So that no one may boast before God. The Corinthians understood that they were not in society particularly significant people. A church made up of a lot of slaves, a lot of people who were just common laborers, nothing special. Well, the church at Philadelphia was like that. They knew they weren't special. They knew they were just sinners saved by grace. It's the same thing that Paul experienced in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 when he prayed three times that God would remove the thorn in his flesh. And God said, no, my grace is sufficient. My strength will be perfected in weakness. And Paul said, when I'm weak, then I'm strong. When I'm weak, I'm leaning on the Lord. When I'm strong, I'm leaning on me. Paul said, gladly will I accept all of these infirmities that I might be weak in Christ. I'm paraphrasing, but that's the essence of thought. When we recognize how really weak we are, that we can do nothing of any value spiritually apart from Christ, that's when the Lord uses us. And that's when he uses us as a church, and as individuals. Lakeside's usefulness and your usefulness individually is in direct proportion to your humility. When you're humble and you recognize that your power is to lean on the Lord, then God uses you. When you think that you are so gifted and you are better than others, then you will fail. Remember what the Lord said in the Old Testament, it's not by, by might nor by power, but by my spirit. So, first of all, this church was used and had an open door because they were weak, because you have a little power. Secondly, he said, your usefulness is related to the fact that you've kept my word. That's the second thing, you've kept my word. A church that that can be used to proclaim the gospel is a church that is obedient to the standards of, of the word of God. Usefulness is in direct proportion to our obedience to God's word. A church that is faithful to obey God's word will be faithful in going through open doors with the gospel. It's as simple as that. So usefulness, you know, if you think, well, how come the Lord hasn't used me? Maybe you're not obedient on a daily basis like you need to be. Why should God give you greater opportunities if you're not going to be faithful in the little opportunities? Third, he said, and you have not denied my name. Apparently, there was pressure to deny Christ's name, perhaps coming largely from the Jewish people, but they didn't do that. They didn't do that. And I think that if you're going to be used of the Lord, you really have to be able to handle persecution. Now, we know it's by God's grace. We don't do it by ourselves, but you are not to back down. If you can't handle a little persecution, then you can't handle more persecution. Satan attacks those who are used of the Lord. So, church at Philadelphia was persecuted for their faith. They were used by God. They, they did not deny Christ's deity or Messiahship. So, what happened? What happened? Look at verse 9. Behold, I will cause those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie, I will make them come and bow down at your feet and make them know that I have loved you. Now, this is a result of, of this open door of their faithfulness, of knowing they have little power. What is he talking about here? Uh, this is hard language, but this is not anti-Semitic language. Not at all. It's a statement concerning Jewish people in the city of Philadelphia who claimed to be real Jews, claimed to be children of Abraham, but they were not. Now, let me balance this. Racially, they were. Culturally, they were biologically they were, they were Jewish, but not spiritually, not spiritually. I think the best commentary on this is Romans chapter 2, verses 28 and 29. Paul says, for he is not a Jew who is one outwardly. It's not really the sign of, of being a true son of Abraham or daughter of Abraham. He's not a Jew who, one who is on the outside, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew. Here's someone who's really Jewish. He is a Jew who is one inwardly and circumcision is that which is of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter and his praise is not from men but from God. That was the situation here. They, yes, racially, culturally were Jewish but they were not true Jewish people spiritually. Now, let's broaden this truth. Jewish people or anyone who claims to be of God, but who rejects Jesus Christ as the Messiah is not of God. Not of God. They're of Satan. Because all false religion goes back to Satan. He is the author of lies. He's the author of all false religion. It would be like liberal churches today. They may have the name church, They may even speak of Jesus Christ, but they reject the deity of Christ. They reject the authority of the Bible. They reject that the Bible is the word of God. They don't believe in salvation by faith in Christ. They have nothing to do with the atonement of Christ. They may call themselves Christians, but they are really a church of Satan, regardless of what they call them. That's that's what Jesus is talking about here. Yes, they have a synagogue. They say they're really Jewish, but they are not Jewish in their hearts. They are not. They are not true children of Abraham. But look what what Christ will do for this church. Let me read verse 9 again. Behold, I will cause those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they're Jews and are not, but lie. I'll make them come and they're going to bow down at your feet and make them know that I have loved you. What is he talking about here? This is the language of the Old Testament that that someday the Gentile nations, according to Isaiah chapter 60, Zechariah chapter 8, will bow down before Israel and acknowledge that Israel is of God. This is the language that he's using here. But what Jesus is saying is this. In Philadelphia, someday, you of the church at Philadelphia, your Jewish persecutors are going to know that you are the genuine people of of God, they will bow down before you in the sense that they will recognize that you believe the truth, that God loves you, and they will not persecute you anymore. What he's talking about is that some of these Jewish people are going to come to faith in Christ. That's what he's saying. Some of the people that you've been faithful to witness to, because I've given you an open door to them, as well as regions beyond, some of them are going to become Christians, and they're going to acknowledge, yes, now we see that God really does love you. I think the principle to grasp here is that God opens doors of service to those who are faithful to him. The church at Philadelphia was faithful to the Lord, even through persecution, and God granted them, yes, some of your tormentors are going to be saved. So they had open doors. They went through them. God honored them. What about you? Where do you have open doors? Where are there open doors in your life? Do you have open doors where you work? Then share the gospel there. Your neighbors, share the gospel. Friends family. And may God use each of us to bear some fruit. The church of Philadelphia was promised they would bear some fruit. Now, Christ adds a further word of encouragement to this faithful band of followers, not large, very small. He says in verse 10, because you have kept the word of my perseverance, I also will keep you from the hour of testing, that hour which is about to come upon the whole world to test, those who dwell on the earth. Now, what is this referring to? I believe it is referring to a period of time still in the future, a seven-year period called the tribulation period. The Old Testament calls it the time of Jacob's trouble. In the book of Revelation, it will begin in chapter 6. We're not there yet, and it'll go all the way to almost the end of the book, chapter 19. It's a time when God pours out his wrath upon Jacob the earth, and it will culminate in Christ returning and establishing his kingdom on earth. Now, Jesus, notice he is not referring to a local persecution. He says that this is going to come upon the whole world, not simply Philadelphia. He speaks of it as a specific time period, the hour of testing. And he said that these would be kept from it. And this apparently refers to believers because in verse 13, we read, he who has an ear, let him hear with the spirit says to the churches, not simply this church. And how is he going to keep them from the tribulation? Verse 11 says, I'm coming quickly. Now, he doesn't use the word rapture here, but I think in the broad picture of the New Testament, it's the rapture. Let me just read to you from John MacArthur's commentary on Revelation. It's a lengthy statement, but I think it'll be good to uh, put some things in perspective about this verse. MacArthur writes several aspects of this wonderful promise may be noted. First, the test is yet future. Second, the test is for a definite limited time. Jesus described it as the hour of testing. Third, it is a test or trial that will expose people for what they really are. Fourth, the test is worldwide in scope since it will come upon the whole world. Finally, and most significantly, Its purpose is to test those who dwell on the earth, a phrase used as a technical term in the book of Revelation for unbelievers. The hour of testing, he writes, is Daniel's 70th week, the time of Jacob's trouble, the seven-year tribulation period. The Lord promises to keep his church out of the future time of testing that will come on unbelievers. Unbelievers will either pass the test by repenting or fail it by refusing to repent. Revelation 6 And he mentions 6, and then 7, and then 14, and then chapter 17 describe those who repent during the tribulation and are saved, thus passing the test. Revelation 6, 9, 16, and 19 describe those who refuse to repent, thus failing the test, and they are damned. Now, let me read this. It gets a little technical, but it's good. There has been much debate, he writes, over the meaning of the phrase, Tereo ek, which is keep from, tereo ek. Those who argue that the church will go through the tribulation hold that this phrase means preservation in the midst and emergence from. They believe the church will go through the tribulation judgments and that God will preserve it in the midst of them so that the church will thus emerge successfully at the end from the hour of testing. That view is unlikely, however, both on linguistic and biblical grounds. The basic meaning of the preposition ek is from, out from, or away from. Had the Lord intended to convey that the church would be preserved in the midst of the tribulation, the prepositions uh, en, which means in, or dia, which means through, would have been more appropriate. En is used three times with the verb tereo in the New Testament. He lists where they're used. And ace once, always implying previous existence within with a view to continuing in. Tereo with ek implies just the opposite, continuous existence outside. The only other time the phrase tereo ek appears in Scripture is in John 17:15. In his high priestly prayer, Jesus prayed, I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. He writes, he certainly did not pray that believers be preserved within Satan's power, for believers have been rescued from the domain of darkness and transferred to the kingdom of his beloved son. Christians are those who have turned from darkness to light and from the dominion of Satan to God. 1 John 5.19 says that it is the unregenerate world that lies in Satan's power, not believers. The meaning of tereo ek in John 17.15, to be kept completely out of, argues strongly for a similar meaning here in Revelation 3.10. The apostle John wrote both passages, and both are direct quotes, of the Lord Jesus Christ. To interpret Tereoek as a promise of preservation in the midst of the tribulation poses another difficulty. The Philadelphia church was never in the tribulation, which is still in the future. Another obvious objection to interpreting Tereoek as a promise of preservation in the midst of the tribulation is that believers in that terrible time will not be preserved. In fact, many will be martyred, and he mentions the references In the book of Revelation, many will be martyred leading to the conclusion that promising preservation is meaningless if the believers face the same fate as sinners during the tribulation. He concludes by saying the coming that Christ refers to differs from those promised to others of the seven churches. Those earlier promises were warnings of impending temporal judgment on sinning congregations. The coming spoken of here, however, is to bring the hour Of testing that culminates in our Lord's second coming. It is Christ coming to deliver the church, not to bring judgment to it, quickly depicts the imminency of Christ's coming for his church. It could happen at any time. Every believer's response should be Amen, come Lord Jesus. Now, I know that's lengthy, but I thought it would be helpful to understand that this is a wonderful promise expanding to all believers that believers will not go through the tribulation. So, the Lord commends this church for being a small group of faithful, obedient followers who have persevered through persecution and they will be kept from judgment. But what should they do in the meantime? What are they supposed to do? Well, we move from the correspondent, which is Christ, to the condition of the church, a wonderful church, to the command given to this church. There's only one thing the church is commanded to do. And that's found in verse 11. I'm coming quickly. Hold fast what you have so that no one will take your crown. A small phrase, folks, very significant phrase. Hold fast to your faithful service for me so that no one takes your reward is what he's saying. Now, you may say, well, can I lose my reward? Yes, in the sense that if God has given you An open door and opportunities to proclaim the gospel and you don't take those opportunities, God will raise up someone else who will take those opportunities and he'll get the reward that could have been yours. I think that's precisely what he's talking about here. So be faithful. Listen, faithfulness is a key to the Christian life. And there are many people who have not been faithful. And many people, Christians, who once had a burning heart for Christ, but no longer, their hearts are cold now. They're discouraged. Someone, someone offended them. Someone hurt their feelings. And they've just withdrawn. They're not walking in fellowship with the Lord. And there are people who are like that. And they're not available to be used of the Lord. Faithfulness is a key. Persevere, finish well, cross the finish line in obedience to Christ. Don't grow weary and give up. Press on and you'll get a reward. Now, let me just give you a few illustrations in the Bible of people who who had opportunities to have something, gain something. We can call it a reward, but they lost it. Jacob got the birthright that was intended for Esau. Remember, David got the throne. It was originally given to Saul, who forfeited it by his disobedience. Now, we don't understand how all that works in the sovereign plan of God, but from a human perspective, here was Saul, who was told if he obeys, he'll have a kingdom forever. He disobeyed, it's given to David. So can you lose the reward that was intended for you? Absolutely, absolutely. So persevere, be faithful, and be steadfast. And move on. The Lord gives a word of encouragement for this church, the church they told to hang in there and persevere. He gives them some future promises to give them Courage to persevere. Verse 12, he who overcomes, I'll make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he will not go out from it anymore. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God and my new name. Lord promises, gives some future promises here that I think was intended to give them great Encouragement. First of all, he promises stability in their lives. Eventually they will be pillars in the temple of his God. Unshakable, unmovable, firm. These people who knew about trembling earthquakes, Jesus is saying, you will have eternal stability. You'll never be running in and out from the temple. Eternal stability. A, a pillar of strength. Right now you're small you're looked upon as insignificant, but someday you'll be a pillar of strength and everybody will see it. Secondly, he says that he's going to give them a new name. It's multiple names here. The name of my God, the name of the city of my God, which is the New Jerusalem, and my new name. And what is his new name? I don't know. We'll find out. But in Revelation 19, verse 12 we read this of Jesus. His, when he comes back, his eyes are a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, it's crowns, and he has a name written on him which no one knows except himself. What is Christ's new name? Well, nobody knows. I suspect it is probably the embodiment of all of his character qualities. Some name that embodies all of his names. How wonderful! he is. So God's going to put a new name on us and a new name on these folks. He's saying security is yours because you'll belong to me. His name is on you and no one can touch you. No one's going to be able to persecute you. Ownership. When you get God's name on you, it speaks of ownership. And finally, we've come to the fifth point here, the challenge to the church. Verse 13 simply says, he who is near." Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Christ says this is a message for all Christians, for all churches. And I say that for those of us who are part of the Lakeside family, God has set an open door before Lakeside. Incredible opportunities can change the world if you understand how insignificant you are and lean on the Lord. This little church in Clearwater can be used far greater than any of us can imagine. So let's make sure that we recognize our strength is in the Lord and not ourselves, and go through these doors of opportunity and not lose our reward. Let's bow for prayer. If you have never trusted Christ, never given your heart to him, may the word of God do a work in you tonight where you recognize that he is the true God. He is the true Messiah. He will come again. He will come to judge this world You don't need to be judged. If you've never trusted Christ, I urge you to turn to him and you'll escape judgment. He is a savior of sinners. There's nothing you can do that could turn him away from you. There's nothing you can do that's so bad that Christ can't save you. So I urge you, come to him. For the rest of us, if you know Christ, make sure you are humble. Make sure you can handle persecution by his grace. Make sure you're leaning upon him. And think large. What are the opportunities before you? Be bold to ask God to give you courage to go through those doors. Don't let anybody take your reward. You be obedient to him. Be faithful. Father, thank you for this exhortation from this letter to this little church. I pray, Lord, that we would learn from this church. I pray that we would be strengthened, Lord, in you to see that we can be just like them. Open doors, Lord, to get the gospel out. I pray that we would be like them as a church. I pray we would be like them individually, Lord, recognizing that we're not a mega church, but we want to be faithful. We want to be persistent. We want to be those who do not deny your name no matter what happens. So help us, Lord, to be a congregation of faithful followers. And may we go through those doors and share the gospel with all that you lead us to. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for being part of our class today.
2: We have one more church to look at in this series of studies from Revelation chapters 2 and 3 and that will be the Church of Laodicea. Plan to be here as Pastor Steve begins this two-part study next time on Verse by Verse. Remember at any time you can log on to our website versebyverseradio.org to learn more about this program and to listen again to today's lesson or any of the hundreds of other lessons available for free download. You may also call Verse by Verse at 727-239-0306 for any questions you may have about the Bible or to request a CD copy of this message. That number again is 727-239-0306. Our website is versebyverseradio.org. Verse by Verse is a listener-supported ministry. We depend on your faithful prayers and giving that enable us to continue bringing these Bible studies on this great station. You can donate online by going to our website, www.versebyverseradio.org and clicking on the Giving tab or call us at 727-239-0306. I'm your announcer, Ken Anderson. Thanks for listening.
1: bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Today in the city of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord.
0: It's the birth of Jesus Christ, the story of good news and joy to the world. Merry Christmas from Faith Talk 570 and 910 WTB.